everybody in the room that, that has a job has challenges in your job. You have things that you got to figure out and wrestle through, and preacher world is, is the same, same thing. We have things we got to struggle through. One of those things is like when you start a sermon, you want to get everybody on the same page. But then every Monday when I'm actually putting the sermon together, I, I kind of take notes for like a week, sometimes months. I'm putting it together I'll stop and I'll look out in my mind at the crowd. Now, y'all sit in the same place every week. It doesn't matter what service you come to, you're going to sit in the same place. And so I can see you. And I'm like, well, I, I know where so-and-so sits and I know where so-and-so sits. And this, I know this person prefers this politically and this person prefers this. And it's, it's difficult to find something that gets everybody on the same page. So I was thinking about it this week and it was actually kind of easy. I didn't have to rack my brain for very long because... For everybody in this room and for anybody watching online right now, I can describe Christmas in your world, in your life with one word, chaos. Now, chaos doesn't necessarily mean bad because people are like, oh, I love Christmas. It's still chaotic. Like for example, the first year you're married, the first year you're married, if a, if a real tree person marries a fake tree person, by the way, I got corrected on the fake tree, I'm not going to tell you. It was Heidi. I'm not going to say her name. Just, I'm not going to, so just don't ask. But I'm, I'm now calling it the artificial tree. Um, so, so you got the real tree and the artificial tree. And if they get together and they don't decide, it's going to be chaos. While I'm at it, let's do a quick survey. How many of you are artificial tree people? Raise your hands. Yeah, these are the people that love Jesus. Online, put it in the chat. Artificial. Now, how, people, how many people are real tree? Okay, what, what's your problem? Seriously. <laughs> Target. My God, Walmart. Anyway, so I know it's the experience. I, know, I, I, I don't want that experience, but if you want that experience, praise God. It's, it's chaos for people. Christmas is chaos when you try to figure out who's family are you going to go to? We went to your family this year, we went to this family, and then everybody's got that one member in one part of the family that they're hanging on. You know, this could be their last Christmas, but you said that for five years and you're like, man, I hope they just give it up soon so we don't have to keep going because I can't stand those people. Christmas is chaos. Driving in Anderson, South Carolina is chaos. The other day, I, was, I had to go somewhere and I got stuck out on this, this right section of Clemson Boulevard right here and I was going that way, I went backwards in my walk with Jesus. I'm telling you, I went because it's chaos. Now, what's beautiful about that is the very first Christmas was chaos. In fact, it was so chaotic, nobody knew it was Christmas. You're gonna have to stay, you got to work with me on this because this idea is gonna be hard for some people to wrap your mind around. But the Roman Empire at that time period, they were, they were like the dominant empire in the world. And they were trying to figure out a way to tax their people in a way where they could get more tax money from their people in order to sustain their ever-growing government. Can you believe there was such a nation that did that to their people and such? I mean, I, I know it's hard to believe. But anyway, they came up with this thing called a census, and they applied it to the Roman world. And everybody in, in the Roman world had to go to their hometown and register for the census which wasn't a big deal for most people. Because most people in that time period, you were born, you grew up, and you died in the same hometown. But for Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, he has to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and that was chaotic. 
Travel was expensive. Travel was dangerous. He gets to Bethlehem, and we know the story. There's no room. There's no Airbnbs. There's, there's no VRBOs. There's no, no, there's no room. They actually wind up staying in some cave outside of Bethlehem, and it was complete chaos. And into that chaos, into that crazy world, Jesus stepped in. And it's always a great reminder that Jesus doesn't run from the chaos. He actually steps into it. Chaos is a really great indicator that we need Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, hey, get all your stuff together, and then I'll step in. He, he, Jesus, I kind of feel like sometimes he goes, you, you ready? Oh, okay, go ahead and blow that up. Go ahead and blow that up. Go, you ready now? Good, I'll step in. So with all that in mind, last week I put up a chart, and I said that, that we are somewhere on this chart, and remember I, we did Bob and Linda and George and Jennifer and all this stuff, and on this right here, zero, is where somebody meets Christ. This is where our sin is zeroed out. This is where our sin is canceled. People on this side of the line, these are people that are close to coming to Christ, but, but haven't quite got there yet. And these are people that we're, we're growing in Christ, we're, we're baby Christians, we're infant Christians, and sometimes we'll kind of fluctuate between the numbers. Um, so what I want you to do, and, and do this silently, do it to yourself, is find out or figure out what number you feel like you are on this chart when it comes to spiritual maturity. Like somebody might say, well, I'm close to meeting Jesus, but I'm not there yet. Or I met Jesus, you know, within the last week, or, or maybe I'm, I'm growing in my walk with Christ, or maybe I'm really growing. And this right here, like 10 is like Billy Graham, 11 is Jesus. Somebody's like, I'm a nine, okay. Go walk on water after the service. If you, if you can pull that off, we'll call you a nine, all right? Um, and then somebody's like, well, I'm a negative 10. You wouldn't be here. All these people are mad at God who does not exist, all right? So, so I want you to find yourself on the chart, and the reason I want you to find yourself is we're gonna come back to this over and over and over again. And for those of you who are married that don't know where you are, just ask your spouse. They'll be glad to tell you. By the way, if they're a Christian, don't throw them in the negatives, okay? Cole, what did, Cole, what did Addie say you are? I saw you ask her. A 10? Addie, did you say he was a 10? Oh, God, dear God. Love a woman and a lie for you. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter. Oh, God. Matthew chapter two, verse one. Jesus was born. Now, I just want to pause and say, those three words are mind-blowing. Jesus, like the son of God, creator of the universe, humbled himself and became a man, not just a man, but a, but a baby. Jesus was born. That's Mine. Anyway, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, of, of King Herod, King Herod. Herod was a king, therefore they called him King Herod. That's gonna be very important. That's why, because some of you are like, he's stuck on the king thing. Is he okay? I'm fine. About that time, some wise men from, the Eastern, from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, wise men are like from modern day Iran, Iraq, that area, and they're going to uh, Israel, Jerusalem. This is a long journey. Some scholars say it could have taken weeks. Some say it could have even taken months. Um, where is the newborn king of the Jews? And I'm gonna show you that's problematic in a minute. We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, another quick question. I know you're like, here, you're asking a lot of questions. I'm trying to teach the Presbyterians how to raise their hands, all right? Here we go. Stay with me. 
How many of you right now either have or you have and you're going to put out a nativity scene in your home? Raise your hand. I'm not gonna make fun of you, okay? Yeah, okay. Here's the thing about the nativity scene. First of all, nobody in the nativity scene belongs there, especially the wise men. Have you ever been at a place that you didn't belong or thought you should be somewhere and you really shouldn't be? A few weeks ago, I stood on this stage with a guitar in my hand and I sang the, the Christian song by the gospel group, Georgia Satellites, Don't Hand Me No Lines and Keep Your Hands to Yourself. And I love doing that. I love leading. I love singing. It's fun. But, and I've had people ask me, hey, why don't you do that more? Here's why. It's not my thing. I don't belong. I've got about five songs that I can sing. We'll work them in like one a year. Like we'll, we'll, we'll get one and everybody's like, that was so good. Yeah, I worked on it for six months. Thank you very much. That's the reason it was good. I don't belong. You know how I know I don't belong? Because of what happened to me this week or last week, I'm sorry. I was in my garage and I wear Beats headphones when I work out, not the kind that go in your ear because they always fall out. I wear the kinds that just wrap around your head. And, and, and my decibel thing is always going off on my phone so I shut it off. And I listen to loud music. And for some reason on this day, I, was, I started singing because I, we were, I, the, the song was on that we sang last week, Build Your Church by Maverick City. Build your church, build your church, build it from the ground. I, man, I, I was wearing this song out, wearing it out, singing it better than it's ever been sang ever. And I was singing, so I didn't realize how loud I was singing. By the way, you do the same thing, so don't judge me. You've been in your car or in your shower, and you are singing going, I am the greatest thing since sliced bread, all right? Kelly Clarkson ain't got nothing on me. So you sing. So I'm singing. I am enjoying myself. I got a smile on my face. I walk into my house, and Shannon, my beautiful, lovely, awesome wife, is standing there, and she's got this look of concern on her face. I took my headphones off. I said, what's wrong? She said, are you okay? I said, yeah, why? She said, oh, it sounded like you were screaming in pain. <laughs> baby, is this a true story? It is true. Yeah, yeah. I said, no, baby, I was, I was singing. She, and she went, oh, oh. And so anyway, we're past that now. I'm just saying, I don't belong. When it comes to the story of the wise men, they don't belong. They don't belong because in the nativity scene, they're, they're not Jewish. In today's world, we would say they are not Christian. They were so far from Jesus geographically and spiritually, it wasn't even funny. And here's what's crazy. How did they meet Jesus? How did they eventually get to Jesus? They were looking into the sky and they saw a what? A star. This was called astrology. According to the Hebrew scriptures, this was a sin. But see, they weren't Jewish. And so instead of sending an angel to rebuke them for their sinful behavior, because listen, ungodly people are going to do ungodly things, right? Yep. So instead of sending an angel to rebuke them, God says, you know what? That's where you are. That's fine. I'll speak your language. I'll meet you where you are and bring you where you need to be. And that's what he did with a wise man. They were so far away from God. And he said, I'm gonna meet you where you are doing something sinful 
and I'm going to use it to bring you to Jesus. Now, what I find fascinating about this is the guy that wrote this, his name is Matthew. And I think one of the reasons Matthew included this in his story is because the same thing happened to Matthew. Matthew, before he met Jesus, was a tax collector. And in Jewish society, tax collecting was like the worst sin imaginable. If you were collecting taxes, you were an evil, wicked person. You, you were essentially going to hell. And Jesus walks up to Matthew and he doesn't say, stop it. He doesn't say, sinner. He doesn't say, you're wrong. Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. That's crazy. That would be like me walking out the door tonight, seeing a drug deal going down over here on the, which that's not too far out of the picture, right? Seeing a drug deal going on. And after the drug deal takes place, me walking over and going, hey, I can see you got a business mind. Why don't you come on staff? <laughs> that's essentially what Jesus did to Matthew. Jesus didn't say, stop collecting taxes. That's why, that's why it's a huge, huge deal because religion says change and then you can follow. Like you can go to certain churches, you can go to certain, they'll go, okay, um, you're, you're not allowed to wear that shirt because it's got a band name that is not Christian and you, you, can't, um, you can't do certain things and you can't have that hairstyle and you can't listen to that kind of music. And once you adjust your lifestyle, then you can come in and you can belong to part of us. That's what religion says. But Jesus says, follow me and you will change because Jesus knows that we can't follow him and stay the same. We're going to change. I'm going to prove it to you at the end of the text, all right? So the wise men show up. They don't even belong. They're like, man, we were looking at the stars. And all the religious people are like, you're doing what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a king born. And there's where the problem is. Because they, they, they said, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. We have come to worship him. Now, notice this. They said, where is the newborn? Say this word with me on three. One, two, three. King. Now, there's a problem. I'm going to show you the problem in the next verse. First two words. King Herod. See, when you are the king, and somebody asks you, where's the new king? And you're just finding out this is problematic. King Herod was deeply disturbed, not just disturbed, deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, most of us, probably all of us, have a word or we have some words that we just don't like. Somebody says that word around us and we just cringe. I have a word like that and nobody knows what it is. I've never told anyone and I won't tell because it's my word that I don't like. I was at a dinner one night, some friends invited me over, having this nice dinner, and they, they knew I loved dessert, and I do. And they brought out this cake, it was amazing. They gave me a piece of this cake, and I'm eating this cake, and the, the lady that made the cake was sitting across from me, and she said, Pastor V, what do you think about the cake? I said, oh my God, this cake is great. I said, I love how, I love how moist it is. And she went, Ugh. I said, you all right? She said, oh, it's that word, that word, that word. 
I said, cake? She went, I said, moist? She went, I think if I'd have done it the third time, she'd have fallen out. And in Pentecostal circles, that gets you points, all right? I'm just, that was her word. She didn't like the word. A lot of us have words that we don't like. You know what word King Herod didn't like? King. Because he was king. Herod was king. And so if somebody else shows up and you're the king and they say, hey, where's the new king and nobody's informed you? You're a little bothered too. See, Herod didn't have a problem with religion. Herod didn't have a problem with temple worship. Herod didn't have a problem with sacrifices being made. Herod didn't even have a problem with people talking to God. Herod had a problem with acknowledging Jesus as king. And this is a great time of year to focus on that. And not just say, is Jesus somebody I talk to when I feel bad? Is Jesus somebody I reach out to when I need help? Or is Jesus my king? Is he my king? I love it when people tell me that all world religions are essentially the same. Christianity doesn't stand out. We're just the same as other religions, and that's not true. Number one, it tells me you've never studied religions, but number two, do you know pagans that don't even worship God acknowledge that the religions are different by the way they cuss? Think about it. You've never never seen anybody at work get super bad at someone or something and go, Buddha, damn it! (laughs) Have you? No, they always bring God's name into it, don't they? You've never heard anybody go, Muhammad! Doesn't happen, does it? No, nobody's, you see, even people that don't even know God acknowledge that God is different because they use his name in vain when they curse instead of other world religions. I'm just throwing that out. You'll never forget that, by the way. And if you want to use Buddha Dam this week, you just give me credit for it, all right? <laughs> Verse four, he called a meeting. That's how we know he was Baptist. Because he called, he called a meeting of the leading priest and the teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born. Now, when Herod says this, this is king language. Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's a title, Christos, Lord. So he's asking, where's the king? Where's the Lord? Where's he supposed to be born? And, 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 and they replied, um, in Bethlehem, for this is what the prophet wrote. And then they quote him a verse, which is always good to back it up with a verse. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come to you from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Isn't this great? Now, here's what's crazy. Bethlehem is six miles away from Jerusalem. Six miles. You can literally see Bethlehem from certain parts of Jerusalem. And Herod's going to miss Jesus by six miles. But here's what's crazy. I was thinking about this the other day. I had to fill out one of those forms. You know, when you go to see like any doctor or dentist, I'm fine, I'm fine, healthy. Anytime I say that, sometimes, you healthy, I'm fine, I'm fine. But 
anytime you go see a new doctor or a new dentist, do anything, you got to fill out that patient form. You know what I'm talking about? And in the patient form, they're going to ask for your family's physical. Like, does anybody in your family have any of these? And I always just circle it and put a check mark and say, yes, my family has had everything. On my, my father's side and my mother's side did not do me any favors genetically. I'm a walking genetic time bomb. It would not surprise me if at some point in my life, every cell in my body exploded at the speed of light and I just ceased to exist. I'm not making this up. Now on my mom's side, it's heart problems. Everybody on my mama's side is, is heart stuff. And we always had to hear my aunts talk about their heart. Every time we always, oh, it's my heart, it's my heart, my heart, my heart, my heart. On my dad's side, is diabetes. Diabetes, so, so diabetes, heart. Now, both of these things have one thing in common, especially with my father's side and especially with me. I wrestled with, a, for years, I wrestled with a disease that if I'm not careful, it can sneak back up on me. It's called FATAS. Think about it, you'll get it later. Okay, so, and so about six years ago, I was sitting around thinking one day, I'm getting close to 50. Everybody on my mom's side dropping out because heart problems. Everybody on my dad's side. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, I probably should put down these donuts. See, we think in... In the spiritual world, we think that information equals transformation, but that's a not equal sign. It don't. Because I'm sitting there going, I know I shouldn't be eating these donuts, and God, I love donuts. I love donuts. Donuts are amazing. I love donuts, except the jelly-filled ones. Y'all can have all the jelly-filled donuts y'all want, but I love the rest of the donuts, all right? I probably shouldn't be eating these donuts. And you know what? I got a gym membership but I should probably quit driving by the gym and actually go in there. And when I go in, I probably shouldn't talk to anybody. I should probably actually use the machines. It wasn't the information that changed my life. It was the application of the information that led to transformation in my life. And in, in church world, it's the same thing. Herod had all the information he needed to meet Jesus, and he refused to meet him because he refused to call someone else his king. The scholars quoted a verse about Jesus, and this same group of people around 33 years later would lead the movement to kill Jesus because they recognized Jesus as a religious figure. They just didn't see him as king. Do we see him as king? We can tell if Jesus is king by the way we pray. Oftentimes when we pray for other people, I don't know how you pray for other people, but years ago I, I got caught up in a trap. I pray for other people. My prayer was get them. Get them, God. You know what they're doing. You know what they're doing. Get them. Get them. And I got convicted. I still pray some get them prayers sometimes every once in a while. I prayed a couple for y'all, people in this room. I'm not going to point. Cole. But um, I, I, I've, I've prayed. But here, here's my question. If Jesus is king, then we can pray a prayer like this. And I'm just, I've challenged all our morning services to do this. It got super quiet. It got super tense. And I'm, I knew it was going to work. 
So I'm going to use it tonight too. What if we prayed this prayer I'm about to put up? Now I'm about to put up a prayer on the screen. And some of you are like, where do you, where do you get the authority to put up a prayer? Well, this is from the Bible. It's written in the Bible. And if it's written in the Bible, listen, anytime you pray God's word, you pray God's will. I didn't even say that this morning. That's absolutely free. All right. What if we prayed this prayer? This is a Jesus is King prayer. Watch this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now that's a prayer that'll change some people. Try that this week. Just pray it every, every morning and just pause for a minute to sit and listen. It, it'll, it'll change you because God will start pointing some stuff out. Anyway, we'll keep on with the story. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. So he kicked all the religious people out and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And that's gonna be very important to the story next week. Don't miss next week. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, I'm sure you would agree with me that some people are hard to love. Am I right? You don't have to point. You don't have to type in a name in the chat. Just some people are hard to love. I was driving down the road the other day. This happened to me just, just a few days ago. And I was going, I was behind, it was a Ford Escape. I can tell you a license plate number. Um, I was behind this Ford Escape and they were going 10 miles under the speed limit in the passing lane next to a car going the same speed limit. I'm a 10 mile over guy. They're going 10 mile under. I'm, I've got to get somewhere. I don't even know where I was going, but I had to get somewhere and I am angry. I'm angry. I'm, I'm, it's this person in front of me, they're hard to love. And, and everybody in this room knows somebody. You have that somebody in your life that's hard to love. Now, there's some people here tonight, you're like, there's nobody in my life that's hard to love. You're probably the person in your family that's hard to love. So you need to really lean in and pay attention here, okay? We've all got people that are hard to love. And here's what I've discovered. When Jesus isn't king, we will use people rather than love them. But the closer we get to Jesus, the more we love people and the less likely we are to use people. That's why I tell singles when they're dating, date somebody that's pursuing Jesus because if they're pursuing Jesus, they're less likely to use you and they're more likely to love you. So the other day, I, this car is in front of me, Shannon's in the passenger seat trying hold it together because she will rebuke me if I get out of line. So I'm, I'm trying to hold it together. And I'm going around the car and I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna flip the bird. I don't flip the bird. Okay, never mind. It's a different story. But most of the time, 99.9% of the time, I don't, okay? But I do give the stink eye. I was gonna give this person the stink eye. I get next to this person and I look to give them the stink eye. And it's this little old lady 
and she's got the steering wheel like this, and she's scared to death. She's scared to death. And instead of giving the stink eye, the Holy Spirit starts whispering to me going, hey, jerk, how you feel about that now? <laughs> now, the only reason I share that is because I, I get it right every once in a while, and I like to let y'all know I get it right every once in a while because most of the time I share all my get it wrong illustrations, and there's plenty, I promise. But what happens when we get close to Jesus and he becomes our king is it, we just love people instead of using them. Herod was using the wise men because his plan was, you go find Jesus, you come back here and tell me. And what, what he really had planned is he was going to go kill Jesus and then he was going to kill the wise men. It's amazing when we get close to a work of God how the enemy will compel us to try to kill that work of God. Don't miss next week. That's what we're talking about. So watch what happens. This is crazy. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Isn't it funny? They met religious scholars and still had to use the star because the religious scholars were further from Jesus than they were. That's crazy. And went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Wouldn't it be great if God still operated that way? Like with a star, you're just praying about something. You're singing when you're praying about, who am I supposed to date? And a star shines over him. You're like, yes. Or you go, you gotta, is there an option B? I don't, I don't know, maybe, but where am I supposed to work, God? And the star shines over that place. And I was thinking about, wouldn't it be great if there was just a star that would shine over the place where we had to go? And God spoke to me and said, you got something better than the star. It's called the Holy Spirit. It lives inside of you. And if you listen to him, He'll guide you way better than a star. So, so they're following this star, and I love how Matthew points out, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy because that's what a journey towards Jesus is a journey filled with joy. I'm not saying there's not tough times, but we will experience joy in our journey with Jesus. And then the Bible says this, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Why did they do that? Because that's what you do when you meet a king. They got it right. Right from the start. They, they, they didn't know any scriptures, but they came into the presence of Jesus. And when they came into the presence of Jesus, they bowed because they knew he was king. That's what we do when Jesus is king. We, we worship. We don't just show up. We worship. And so then they opened their treasure chest. Notice plural. There were more than one. There wasn't just a treasure chest. There were treasure chests. And they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is crazy. Because first of all, the nativity scene has everybody in the barn, right? But, it, but it's wrong. Because by this time, Joseph and Mary done got a house. They kind of upgraded from the sheep cave, found them a little house, got a good interest rate, started home, little baby Jesus in, in the manger. They probably brought the manger with them, right? 
and the wise men show up and they got gifts. And if you're, if you're Joseph and Mary and they knock on your door and your ring doorbell system isn't working, you just have to go and let these men in. They come in, they got all this stuff and you're like, okay. And they start bowing down, worshiping your child. You're like, I don't know, I don't know. And then let's put it in modern day terms. If you're Joseph, one of them just opens up a suitcase and it's full of stacks of $100 bills. And Mary's going, I don't know. And you're Joseph going, I don't know, babe. This, these people are legit. I think I like these people. I don't know where that minute came from. I don't, but, but this is what's going on. They're, they're, they're giving. Because that, that's what you do when Jesus is king. And maybe for somebody here tonight, that's your next step. To put them first in, in giving. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, oh my gosh, it's a church and hold on to your Hold on your purse, Marge. This is a church. They're going to get our money. Well, you should probably hold on your purse, but not because we're after your money, but because this is second chance. That's probably the reason you should hold on to your purse. But I'm not, I'm not after your money. Jesus is after your heart. And people that recognize Jesus give. I move on. When it was time to leave... They returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, this verse is loaded. It reminded me of when Shannon and I first got married, and we'd been in the house for like two weeks. I had a house, and her and her dog came to live with me, and my dog, we have a blended family. We're sitting on the couch now. She moved into a, I have a man house. I had a man house. A man house is when you walk in, the living room is presentable. It looks like normal people live there. But if you go in any other room, it looks like a tornado hit that room. But for me, I had piles of stuff all over the house. I knew where everything was in every pile. 2000. 17 tax returns, I could go right to them. I knew exactly where they were, pull them out of the pile. I, whatever I needed, I could go and I could find it in the pile. And one night we're sitting, we're watching TV. We've been at home for about two weeks. And Shannon said, baby, I have a question. Would it be okay if I reorganized and just kind of moved some stuff around and just change things up a little? And I said what any married man says with sense, especially two weeks into the marriage. I said, absolutely, babe. Yes, I would love that. I thought it was a one-time thing. Hmm. It's still happening till this day. And when I say she rearranged stuff, she rearranged, like, I came home one day, I was like, what? Where are our dogs? I can't find the dogs. Like, where the do I can't find anything. She, she rearranged everything, but it made it better. Like, our house looks like humans live there now. It's a, the dishwasher works. I didn't know. I had one plate, one cup. I just washed them and just re, like, that's what I did. It's better. I, now, I'm uncomfortable sometimes because she'll move the furniture a little right bit. And if she moves it like a foot this way and it's in the middle of the night and I'm walking through the living room and I can't see and I hit my toe and say a word that takes me backwards in my walk with Jesus, that's a problem. But everything's better. 
but it's a continual process. It never stops. And some of you are like, why are you telling me about home rearrangement? Well, when you meet Jesus, he's eventually going to come and say, can we change some things around a little bit? And some of the moves that he wants to make are absolutely going to make us uncomfortable. But it always makes things better. Because see, the wise men, they met Jesus, and watch this, they returned to their own country by another route because you can't meet Jesus and stay the same. By the way, don't miss this. Had they stayed on the route they were on and gone back that way, they would have been killed because that's what the enemy wants to do. Still kill and destroy. But they met Jesus and went another direction. And watch this. How did they get to Jesus? They got to him following a star. But what happened after they met Jesus? Watch this. For God had warned them in a... Communication got more personal. It got more intimate. It went from a star to a dream. It went from something out there to God started working in here and eventually in here because God will always get more personal the more we let him rearrange things in our life. So I'm going to bring it back around to the question I asked you at the beginning of the message. Where are you on this scale? Now, the good news is, and I said this last week, that once you meet Christ, you can't cross back over, but Where are you on the scale? And then the second question is, what do I need to surrender in order to take a step to the right? Like the wise men, they they surrendered, they they gave, they they bowed. What is it? that you need to surrender. See, because Herod wouldn't surrender. Herod was his own king. We're going to see how that turned out for him next week. But for us here tonight, in this room and online, what would you need to surrender to go from here to here? From here to here. From here to here. What would you, what would you need to surrender? Because don't miss this. Jesus' invitation is not condemnation. Jesus' invitation is follow me because he knows as we follow him, things like guilt fall away. Things like shame go away. Habits, addictions, the closer we get to Jesus, the less those things have a pull on our lives. So I'm asking you the question, what would it take? When I first started going back to church, we would, it was a Baptist church, and we would stand and sing. And then we sang a hymn um, about once a month. I think there was a rotation, but I didn't like it. I didn't like it because the, the name of the hymn was I Surrender All. And I usually didn't sing it because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. And I knew there was some stuff in my life that I wasn't giving up. 
But here's what's funny. Jesus will meet you where you are and take you where you need to be in his time, not our time. And eventually I came to love that song because Jesus, I really do. I want to surrender all I've got, all I can, all I know in this moment. I want to surrender to you because you're way better at putting stuff together than I am. So what is that thing that you would need to surrender to take one step to the right? And would you consider, would you consider surrendering, surrendering it tonight? Jesus, I just want to pray and ask you right now that we would pause over these next few moments and place ourselves in a position of surrender. We would literally ask the question, Jesus, what do you want to do in me? For some of us, it might mean we need to start doing something. For others, it may mean we need to stop doing something. But for all of us, we've got a step to take. So Jesus, may we take these next few moments and think about the fact that we don't want to just surrender some. We want Jesus to surrender all. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus, may that be the posture of our hearts tonight. Fully open, fully surrendered, fully available. Heads bowed and eyes closed. What's that thing that Jesus spoke to you about? That thing that you've got to surrender to take that step. It's different for all of us, but whatever it is, just make where you stand right now your personal private altar and just tell Jesus yes or ask him for help. Others of us tonight, maybe you realized you're that negative two, negative one, and you need to, you need to accept Christ. You, you need to give Jesus your life. You need to have your sin canceled and paid for. You need to become a brand new person. You need to accept Christ as Lord, as King. And you need to do that tonight. If, to, if that's what you need to do, if you need to ask Christ to come in your life, I want to invite you right where you stand to pray a prayer with me and pray it out loud, but you don't have to pray it by yourself because our Second Chance family, we, we pray it out loud together every week. And we do so for the benefit of you so you don't feel alone when you pray this because we're a family here. So if you need to pray to receive Christ, you pray this prayer with us out loud, a Second Chance family, let's pray this out loud together. Just right where you stand, just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I surrender all. In Jesus' name, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed all over this room right now, all over this room, if you just prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? I want you to put your hand straight up in the air and hold it straight up in the air. Amen, because I want to celebrate with you. Amen, amen. Father, I want to thank you for these hands that are in the air. I want to thank you that people just prayed to receive you, that people literally just crossed over from death to life. I want to thank you, God, that we've never had a Sunday here at Second Chance where you didn't save somebody. God, you're doing something, and God, may we never lose sight of how special that is. Father, I want to pray for, the, for all of us in this room 
that as we walk out of this room, we would walk out of here in a posture of surrender. And God, for those that maybe, maybe we've been playing games, I pray that this would be the week that you get our attention. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. And we ask this in your name. Everybody that agreed said, amen. Didn't you love that song? Didn't you love the way they finished that? I hope you have a great week and we'll see y'all back here next Sunday.